We are going back to the book of James, chapter 1. We're working our way through this very practical general epistle near the end of the New Testament, written by Jesus' half-brother, James. And the message title this morning is Money, Money, Money. And I won't be uh, playing the Apprentice theme song. Money, money, money. Did you know that our Lord and Savior spoke and taught a lot about money? Money was the subject of Jesus at least half of the parables that he told. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one in every 10 verses deals with money. That's 288 verses dealing with money in the four Gospels. Did you know the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, but less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money? 15% of everything that Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. And that 15% is more than what our Lord taught about heaven or hell combined. Amazing. Would you not agree that money, the topic of money, is important to God? In fact, I would submit this morning that money as a topic is super important to our God. Not because he needs any of it, but because he knows that our attitude toward money will impact positively or negatively on our following of his son, Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer wrote, the veil that covers the eyes, the veil of money has never been about how much money you have, but about how much money has you. I'm here to tell you this morning that money is a very good servant, but a very poor master. The fact is that money is either a mirror through which you only can see yourself, or money is a picture window, a large window through which you see God, who has supplied whatever monies you have stewardship over. I've brought two little coins into the pulpit, two little pennies. And this is what it's like. If I place these pennies too close to my eyes, then all I see are the pennies. I don't see you. But if I take those same two pennies and bring them out like this, I still see them, but I'm free to see much more than them. God wants our view and priority on value on money to be like this so we can see him and so we can see others in need not like this that being said I hope you've turned to James chapter 1 we're going to look at verses 9 to 12 together this morning the word of God often makes a connection between spirituality and Money. And again, money isn't the problem. Money is something that either will let us see God when we see money properly, or money is something that will cause us to only see ourselves and which attitude we have is entirely up to us. Let's read the passage, which is verses 9 to 12 of James 1. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed, or happy, is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We begin by saying that there's two kinds of believers in this passage, both the materially poor person in the passage is a believer in Christ, and the wealthy person in this passage is also a believer in Christ. And so let's first look at the brother of humble circumstances. That's where the text takes us first. The first thing to point out about him is that he is in fact a brother, as I've said. He is saved by God's grace through faith in God's Son. Secondly, will you notice from verse 9 also that he is actually in a high position, although he is materially humble. Spiritually, he is high. Spiritually, he is prominent. The fact is, friends, that the cross of Christ has elevated this poor man. It has lifted him up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians 2, verse 6. And so in the first place, the man we meet in this passage first is a brother. In the second place, he is in a high position. And in a third place, the elevated poor man ought to be proud about something. He ought to be proud about what God's grace has done for him. It says in 1 Corinthians 1:31, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And the materially poor believer can teach the rest of us a lot. My country of Canada has many provinces, 10 provinces and two territories. The most poor economic province of Canada is Newfoundland. They are on the east coast of Canada, a rugged place built on rocks. But you know that when you do a statistical study of charitable givings for the country of Canada, Newfoundlanders, although they are the poorest economic Canadians of all, give the most per capita to charities. They have the lowest crime rate in the country and the lowest divorce rate in Canada. So when a person is a believer in Jesus and materially rich, that's one thing. But when a person is a believer in Jesus and is materially poor, he should glory in the high standing he has spiritually. A touching thing I saw some years ago was a whole group of homeless persons in Washington, D.C., and they had church services every Lord's Day together as people without homes. And they praised God in those services vocally, spontaneously, praising him for life, praising him for seeing them safely through the night on the streets of D.C. and preparing for each redeemed homeless person a mansion in glory. It is Billy Graham who has said that if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will straighten up every other attitude of his life. Remember the dimes? So this morning, friends, 
How is your attitude about money? What do you take pride in? Again, verse 9, but let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. Having met the redeemed man who was materially poor, the text next takes us to meeting the redeemed person who is financially, materially rich. What can we observe about this so-called rich man? First, observe that he too is a Christian. Verse 10, and let the rich man links back to the brother who is rich in the previous verse. So the rich person, the rich believer, is also a Christian. But he actually has a low position in God's economy. Although he is materially high in the estimation of humans, he is having a low position with God. Why? Because when you have a lot of money as a Christian, you are in a precarious position. If you trust your money for your significance and your identity, you are just a heartbeat away of losing your money. You are in a vulnerable, precarious position. I remember being at the Glass Window Bridge last fall on a very windy and gusty day. The Atlantic looked like a tempest in a teapot. It was very rough and windy. And I'd never been there before. And foolishly, I went up to the edge on that windy, gusty day on that volcanic, uneven rock. And I'm telling you what, that's the closest I've ever come to dying. Because that gusty wind caught me when I was taking my picture, and I almost went over. Very close. Foolish on my part. The rich Christian is in such a vulnerable and a precarious position if he is not careful. Back in 1987, when the stock market in the U.S. crashed on Black Tuesday, 1987, Walmart founder Sam Walton lost $1.2 billion. He had the money, but he lost the money just in the heartbeat. And that's true for all of us. It can happen. But Sam Walton realized something that we ought to realize about his money. He realized that his money meant very, very little. Do you know what he said on Black Tuesday after he lost $1.2 billion of wealth? It's only on paper. He was right. So first, the rich Christian is a Christian. Second, he's actually in a low position of precariousness. And third, the observation about the believing rich man is that he is to take pride in his low and vulnerable and precarious position. In the spiritual life, the materially teetering is good. If the cross of Christ elevated the poor man, the cross of Christ lowers the wealthy Christian. It prevents him from thinking too highly of himself because everyone is equal in Christ. In this assembly this morning, in all the believers in Nassau this morning, we are equal at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter what we have or don't have in the bank. It was A.T. Robertson who wrote of the cross, the cross is the great leveler of men. I want you to see a fourth thing to observe about the believing rich men, and we see it in verses 10 and 11. Let's read them. 
Let the rich man glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the, man, the sun rises with the scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. The fourth thing to notice about the rich believer is that he is to take pride in his vulnerability because... For the reason that physical death is the normal destination of the rich man's journey. The funeral home is par for the course for the Christian who has a lot of money. And it's par for the course, of course, for all of us. The text put it this, this way, flowers bloom one day and shed their petals the next. People acquire wealth to one day leave it all behind. I've told you before, in my father's funeral home businesses, I saw a lot of funerals. Our funeral hearse had no bumper hitch on it. When we're living, friends, money says goodbye to us. But when we're dying, we say goodbye to money. We come into this world naked, and we leave this world naked naked. And this being the case, the materially rich, born-again person should be proud of the fact that he is saved by a simple grace and faith in Christ. He can't afford, even if he has a lot of money, he can't afford to be proud of his money or of his possessions because they have as their sure destiny staying tied to earth for somebody else to have. Someone has written that there are seven ages of humans. The first age, a child sees the earth. The second age, he wants it. The third age, he hustles to get it. The fourth age, he decides to be satisfied with about half of it. The fifth age, he would be satisfied with less than half of it. And the sixth age, he is now content to possess a two-by-six-foot section of the cemetery and the seventh age is he gets that section of the cemetery. It isn't sin, of course, for any Christian to be in the possession of lots of money. Verse 10, again, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. It isn't a sin for a Christian to have a lot of money. What is a sin is for the money to have a lot of the Christian. Humiliation, that's an interesting word to associate with wealth. 10, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation. His humiliation is his vulnerability, his precariousness, his inability really to hold on to 100% of his wealth 100% of the time. He's a glory in that. This is what the scripture in our passage this morning says about the wealthy Christian. First, in what do you take pride? In what do I take pride? Second, do we see ourselves as being mortal, suspect of physical death, spiritually rich but physically mortal? Now that we've met the two kinds of believers, the poor and the wealthy, in the verses, 
I want to take us to a common denominator. In arithmetic, you were taught that when you had fractions, you had to find the lowest common denominator, the number below the division line, remember? There's a common denominator in the text for both the rich Christian and the poor Christian. And this common denominator in the verses between the rich and the poor in the assembly of God has five parts, five aspects to the lowest common denominator. Quickly, I go through them. First, both the rich and the poor Christian will have trials. See that in the first part of verse 12? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, both the rich man and the poor man. Blessed is the rich Christian and the poor Christian who perseveres under trials. The common denominator is both have trials. The second common denominator, if we will be happy, then we will have to persevere in our trials. To be happy, both the rich and the poor Christian have to persevere through their respective trials. Still in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. What's the next part of the lowest common denominator between the rich and the poor Christian? That both will pass the test of their trials if they keep loving God. That's how you pass the trials of life. Whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, you pass the trials of life by loving God. I see that near the end of verse 12. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. As you may remember, in the New Testament, there are two kinds of Greek words for love. Phileo love is human love. You scratch my back for an hour, and I'll scratch your back for an hour. You watch my kids this weekend, and I'll watch your kids next weekend. Phileo love is in the New Testament. It's friendship love, but it's conditional love. That's not the love of God. The love of God is agape love. Agape love is unconditional love. God loves us, although we can't do anything for God. And when we mess up, as the songs we sang this morning often allude to, that we sin and we fall and God picks us up and he forgives us, he loves us with his highest love, this unconditional agape love. And the word here in verse 12 is agape. We aren't to love God back in our trials with some kind of a friendship, conditional love. God, if you get me out of this trouble, I'll love you. No, God doesn't want us to be fair weather friends. He wants us to love him like he loves us. He wants us to love him through our trials with unconditional love. God, you're my God if I lose my house or if I get a house. God, you're my God if I get sick and die or if you spare me sickness. God deserves our unconditional love. So we're seeing the common denominator between rich and poor Christians. I hope you're remembering. First, we've seen that both will have trials. Second, we see that both will be happy if they persevere in their trials. Now, what else? Both will pass the test of their trials if they keep loving God. More, common denominator between both rich and poor Christians. Both will be rewarded for passing the test of their trials. See it there? Blessed is the man, verse 12, who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's a crown of life that God promises to both the materially poor believer in Jesus and the materially rich believer in Jesus. That's encouraging. And the last part of this common denominator between poor and rich born-again people is that both will be granted eternal life. 
Both will be granted eternal life. Do you see it there in verse 12? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the, cr the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life could be more accurately translated the crown of the life. The crown of the life. What is the specific life in view? It's not the life between birth and physical death on earth. It's eternal life, Christ's life, your life if you're born again. Yes, both the poor and the rich believer in Jesus will be granted this wonderful eternal life. And so, maybe when you handle pennies, from now on, you'll remember this. How you view the money you have will either be blocking you seeing God and others, or it will be giving you a free gaze at the God who provides and the opportunity to see precious people for whom Christ died the way you ought to see them with love and a willingness to share the gospel and to share from your material excess as the Lord leads. I like the paraphrase of this passage from the message. Eugene Peterson has written a paraphrase. It's not a translation. He takes some liberties to go away from the Greek and the Hebrew of the Bible to bring clarity. This is what the message says that are about this passage we've just gone through. When down and outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as the wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers, its petals wilt, and before you know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyalty in love with God will be rewarded in life and more life. I like that. As a pastor for close to 30 years, it's been my privilege to get in touch and close to people of all ages. But I suppose I have visited over these years a good many hours with those who are elderly, the senior citizens of the community and the senior citizens of the assembly. And I've noticed something, that some seniors are grumpy that some seniors complain, while other seniors are cheerful, grateful. For these believers, these elderly believers who are cheerful, who are content, who are grateful, they are tasting the crown of the life right here. What kind of a senior will you be? Maybe you are a senior. What kind of senior are you? When the, a person in the latter stages of their life on earth consider on what people have done to them, 
they are not experiencing the joy of eternal life that is already theirs. However, when the senior Christian, the elderly believer in Jesus, remembers what the Lord has done for them, they have been having a foretaste of that enjoyment of eternal life in heaven. Seniors, middle-aged persons, young adults, teenagers, children who are here today, will it be this or this? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the practicality and the hard-hitting nature of your word. I pray that it would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable today. Lord, we recognize together that money is either something that blinds us or showcases you who provide it. We confess together that money is a very good servant but a lousy master. We understand that money is either a mirror in which we only can see ourselves or money is a window through which we can see you. Lord, we would help, need help to remember that the spiritual life issue for us is not how much money we have, it's how much of us our money has. Lord, we thank you from this passage we can recognize the truth that born-again people, some have material poverty, but others have material wealth. Thank you that in truth, the cross of Jesus Christ is the leveler. The cross raises up the poor Christian and the cross lowers the rich Christian. So, Father, by your Spirit, please deliver us from money-based partiality. And remind us, please, that our money is, in fact, a good servant but a bad master. Remind us not to make our money a mirror, but rather a window. And, Father, thank you so much for pointing out how our attitudes toward money really matter to you because these attitudes either help us or hinder us from following the Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple. Help us to properly follow Jesus, whether we have a little or a lot. And last, please, Lord, help us to unconditionally love you, no matter our circumstances. Forgive us when we have treated you as a, as a fair-weather friend. We've been a fair-weather friend to you. Thank you for this group. Thank you for the love they have for you and your word and each other. And I pray that you would bless each one as we walk in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And God's people said, amen.